0: Do you feel something's wrong with your life, but you don't know why? Do you feel lonely and overwhelmed? You're not alone, and you owe it to yourself to reclaim your humanity, at work, at home, and in your heart. Every episode we talk to an expert to show you how. Hi! Today I'm here with Andrew Benjamin, JD, PhD, ABPP. He's the director and a clinical professor of psychology and of law at the University of Washington. Welcome, Andy.
1: Thanks, Andy. I'm looking forward to this interview.
0: Okay, so um, you have a lot of letters after your name. Um, Tell us about that. Tell us about your journey. Did you start out as a lawyer or a therapist? Why did you cross over? Um, we'd love to hear more because it's not—it's it's very unique to have this uh, to be a professional in both of these fields.
1: Sure. So, um, you no know, thanks for that question. I started um, as a law student. I always wanted to practice law. Um, in particular, I was very interested in social justice issues um, as a young person. I'm—I'm I'm, uh, 67 years of age, and I came up through the '60s and '70s and marched. In Washington, on several occasions against the war, um, worked worked a a, a bit on, on on the civil rights movement uh, um, as a young person, and just felt that that really the my my best self would have would be an advocate um, at law. Well, that kind of got sidetracked because I got a call from um, the, the dean of the department of psychology at the. Uh, um, University of Arizona, where I ended up to go lot to law school. I followed my feminist to Arizona. She was doing physics research, and the, I was busy doing my first year of law school. Uh, um, and the dean of um, psychology calls, and he says, "You know, we're starting this JD PhD program, and uh, we think that that you you would be a great um, our great student. We need a student in place." Uh, Would you like a doctorate in psychology? And I really knew so little about psychology at that point that that I remember thinking, aha, I'm going to learn how to mind read. So I'll be better with the jurors than I'm before. It turns out that there's a lot more to psychology than that, as your listeners know. Um, And um, I uh, just fell in love with psychology um, and uh, have Practice mostly as a psychologist. I did get my doctorate, and I'm a lifelong learner. and And that ABPP means American Board of Professional Psychology. I'm board certified in couples and family psychology. I strongly urge people to continue to learn throughout their life. Um, that's one of those ways that the psychologists can continue to learn. Is by um, preparing for an examination like that and, and going through that kind of examination. So that's what all those initials mean. And I'm primarily practiced as a psychologist. I occasionally use my law degree not, not only to teach at a law school, but, but also to write amicus briefs um, and uh, continue to do so on, on social justice issues um, throughout most of my life. So you wrote a
0: Great article it's called Reclaim your Practice: Reclaim your life and it 's about lawyers who are stressed out at work. Tell us more about that article. Why did you write that um, and tell us some some uh, some stories behind it
1: sure so um, when I graduated out of um um, both programs, we moved back to, to the Pacific Northwest where both my wife and I grew up. And we, um, I got a, my first job um, um, at the medical school. And, a, you know, about a year into that job um, as a psychologist, I got a call out of the blue from the executive director of the Washington State Bar Association, I had already published um, uh, an article about um, the acculturation process that law students go through. And it was a longitudinal data set uh, that that spanned uh, more than five years of data collection. And it showed that the pedagogy of law school really um, impacted so many young people so quickly. Um, We collected data from people before they entered law school. It turns out that law students before they enter law school are are healthier than normal population expectations. Doesn't take much. Um, The pedagogy is so punishing that that within that first year, upwards to 30 to 40% of any Traditional law school class, first year class, will suffer from significant elevations of depression, hostility, obsessive compulsive behavior, and alcohol problems. Combination of some or all of those, or maybe just one of them, but but lots of lots of of symptoms emerge during that first year, so. Those data were published, um, by the way, it doesn't get better. Um, when we set up the pedagogy, takes people away from themselves, away from their values, um, and, it, and it sets up this kind of chronic time famine um, and um, inability to really take perspective on yourself. Um, and uh, when that, those data were published, by the American Bar Foundation Research Journal, they were read by this executive director of the Washington State Bar Association. And he called me up again out of the blue, love these serendipitous events, and he said, would you like to develop and implement a lawyer's assistance program for the Washington State Bar Association? And I, of course, I said yes. And so I stepped back from my university job, did that halftime, Took the bar job half time, and I developed the lawyer assistance program, was second lawyer assistance program in the country. Went on to win an award uh, from the American Bar Association, um, and I ran that program proudly for nine years, and I saw lots of lawyers um, during that that the advent and implementation of that program. Um, we set up a peer counseling corps. Um, who ended up providing lots of services to other lawyers. Um, we trained that core. We supported that core. We provided direct service as well. Um, um, and just an, a number of, of happier lawyers that, that that you know, took the time to, to step away from their practice a bit and look at how unhappy they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and really kind of come back to this notion of, acting congruently with their values. Many, many lawyers had forsaken so many of their values during that process of, of going through law school and beginning their practices and trying to sustain their professional lives. And um, so helping lawyers get back to their values and making sure that they're making decisions um, based on, on their values is one of um, the, the mechanisms of of regaining your health, as the article would suggest and the data show, um, got um, published many studies on law students and lawyers over the years, all, all peer reviewed studies, and there, the, this this particular article that you mentioned um, was published by trial. And a, it's just a brief summary of, of kind of the other um, studies um, and um, the, the main findings and a quick read, would urge your listeners to read it. Um, and if they wanna check into the other research, it's there, cited within the article. Um, and I think we should probably also post the values exercise for your readers. Um, I'll be happy to send that values exercise with the, with the directions to you so that it can go up on, on your site too, Andy.
0: Well, we can talk about that, uh, the, um, the exercise. Um, but before before we do that, I want to ask you, um, what is the outcome of people of lawyers who go through this exercise? The reason I ask is, is the legal profession really accepting of these changes by the individual lawyers? For example, the individual might want to change and reinsert their values. But the legal profession may say, no, 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 you do have to work 12 hours a day. And if you don't, you won't get partnership, you won't get um, a raise. So how do, you, how, how, how do your uh, patients, uh, clients, mediate between these two factors, your individual values and then, of course, this whole collective society? And I ask this not just for the lawyers, but also a lot of our listeners who are in tech. Um, programmers, coders, who are facing the same type of uh, stress from their, um, from their boss.
1: So, uh, um, you know, the first step is to kind of kind of move away from, um, you know, just to recognize that you're in trouble, um, that, that you're feeling pretty miserable with your life, um, and it's not, um, it's not going well in, in, in many aspects of your life. Um, and the first, the first sign typically that, that a lawyer's in trouble is that they've, they've been unable to sustain healthy relationships with people that they love and feel close to. Um, and um, that's, that's the first sign that I would ask that people pay attention to. And if, if that is the case, if those relationships are not going well, It's really time to engage in deeper reflection. Um, Now, fortunately, um, lawyers are incredibly bright and they have really good analytical abilities. That's why um, this values exercise is kind of helpful because it can ground a lawyer in who they are. Not who I think they are, not who a psychologist or a mental health professional might think they are, but who they are. And, and when they look at those values, they can engage in better decision making about what would be in their best interest. So, you mentioned um, the, the toxic culture that many mid sized and, and large law firms uh, um, have perpetuated over the years. Um, I think it would surprise your listeners to learn that more than half the lawyers in in every jurisdiction, I think this is true for California too, are actually solo practitioners. Mm. So they are, they are running their own practices. One, well, the law is one of the few professions where that is possible to do. Um, and there are many instances, I, in fact, one of the classes I teach at our law schools how to develop and implement a solo practice of law and um, the students that have taken that class and have, have developed and implemented their solo practice do very, very well. And so typically one of the goals of, of most of my people who who have taken the class and written up a business plan and have implemented their business plan and launched their practice is is 1,000 billable hours a year. Mm-hmm. That's all. 1,000 billable hours a year. That is a reasonable goal. That means you can have work-life balance. And not surprisingly, fits with most people's values. To work Mm -hmm. smart, to work less, to work in a way that that's not punishing. And um, it's possible to do that in, in some firms. There are some healthy cultures in some firms Um, And it's possible, definitely possible, to do that in your own solo practice. So you're
0: saying that people should assess their own values and happiness level. (laughs) And if their work conditions, such as working in a medium-sized or large firms, don't allow them to be happy, they can go solo. And it's perfectly um, fine and prosperous to do that. Uh, especially nowadays, uh, where so many things are decentralized. So, so um, tell us about this um, this system that you developed to help people assess their uh, situation, which you also talked about in your article. But we want to hear sure. it from the horse's mouth.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no problem. So, so uh, um, we we all have values. Some of us are more aware of our values um, than others. Unfortunately, the pedagogy of law school uh, um, really creates a lot of denial and minimization about ourselves. It's uh, one of the pernicious aspects of that, that pedagogy. And so one of the ways to lift out of denial and minimization is by really um, calling attention to who we are. And, and you, you can easily do that by thinking about the very best decisions you've made in your life, and the very best interpersonal interactions you've had in your life. Those those outcomes involve a set of processes that highlight the values you brought to the process. Mm -hmm. And so there are um, kind of what I refer to as competencies, life competencies, So life competency would be ethics, for instance. Each of you have three very strong ethical values. You can list those values in first person, present tense, and and then live by those values, um, making sure that the decisions now and for the future are congruent with those values. work health would be another competency, emotional health would be another competency, physical health would be another competency, et cetera. Relationship health, another romance, I call it romance marriage, but relationship health would be another competency. So there are, of course, many other competencies, but people then list those values, three values, I'm sorry, I'm influenced by Western civilization, you know, the Trinity and all. Um, so they'll list three values per competency. You can list more if you want, um, but it, it, it will help people make better decisions about their life. You mentioned, and I, I love this about you, Andy, you know, you mentioned that, that, that you've worked with many people in taking the leaves that they deserve. And so many of the lawyers within firms don't know about the leave policies that, that exist for them. They can use those leave policies as transitions to help them make better choices about their life, perhaps even transition into a different type of practice, um, maybe using the, the same legal skills, maybe even uh, engaged in the same kind of legal work, uh, but nevertheless transition out of the toxic environment that that they are currently working in into a healthier environment. Mm.
0: You know, I so often hear younger professionals say, I don't know what I want to do. <laughs> um, I know I went to uh, Ivy League school or, you know, I have a degree, but I don't know what I want to do. How do people know truly what they want to do? How do they, you know, we talk about the values. um, And I think that some people have problems even writing down their values because they have been so inundated by the society's value. The society has determined for them what the values should be. What do you say to listeners who are confused and
1: it's not their fault? But yeah, i are confused. Yeah, you're right on target, man. So so listen, we're so this culture is is so focused on externalization. You know, the style, the look, you know, the the kudos from others. No, 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 no. That 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 that's helpful, feels good, you know, but it's not what good psychology is about. Good psychology is about internalization. Who are you? How do you want to live your life based on who you are? Who are you? Basic existential question. And that question gets best answered, particularly by somebody who has been so uh, kind of bullied by the externalizations, you know, the status, the money, whatever has motivated them externally. They're so battered that that it takes some time to pull back and really find themselves, and the best way to do that is through reflection and writing, to develop a writing practice every day. Doesn't have to be long; could be a sentence or two, but to really to really reflect on this question: Who am I, and what is next? Now, for your generation, the millennial generation, and for younger generations, um, I guess Gen Z is next, um, you all are slated to have at least five major job shifts over the course of your working years. So, you know, we're not asking you to arrive at the penultimate dr- job at this point. You might. <laughs> you might, and that's that would be great if you do. We're just asking you to move out of a toxic setting that is taking you away from who you are. We're asking you to really consider whether, one, you can change within that setting so that the toxic nature of that setting isn't so punishing. And if you can't make that change, two, to find a different way of working, a different way of being in this world.
0: Sometimes people ask themselves these questions, who am I? and instead of finding a more healthy or more or more healthy identity they find emotions instead they find i am afraid I've, i'm frightened i'm afraid that if i quit this job that gives me 200k a year that requires me to work 20 hours a day I'll lose my family. I'll lose my health insurance. How do people deal with fear?
1: Yeah, and so um, fear means go slowly. That's what fear is about. Fear is a very healthy emotion. What? Uh, and really, there are no unhealthy emotions. All emotions are great. But when any emotion takes you over, that's a problem. That is a problem. And that generally leads lawyers into depression, alcoholism, drug abuse, or both. So we don't want any emotional state to take you over. Instead, we want you to read the emotional state uh, um, as a, a call to action. If you're feeling fear, it means that you need to reflect and write. Or in the alternative, go get some help. The cardinal rule of recovery is expressivity. I'm gung-ho about reflection and writing because it's an easy, very private process. And it's something that we all can do um, because we're so um, analytical by nature and and so bright, by and large, as a group. Um, And so you can use that skill set to really soothe your way through uh, um, the fear, if that's the emotion that's overwhelming you. Might, might typically be uh, um, for lawyers feeling so alone. That is um, a, a punishing emo- emotion for many of the lawyers I work with. Loneliness and isolation. And those are the emotions that most concern me as a, a trading psychologist because lawyers are a lethal group. Um, we're, um, we have the the fourth leading group for suicide. I don't want any lawyer committing suicide. I don't want anybody committing suicide, but lawyers have so much to offer. We got too much good work to do. And so if loneliness and isolation is on you, that's a trigger emotion. That means you need to emotionally connect with others. Anybody particularly those people who can engage in reciprocal relationship, please emotionally connect. Now would be a good time to get into mental health treatment. And um, in order to find a, a good mental health provider, you know, call up three providers, let them know in a minute or less, which what you're, you're enduring, what you wanna do in way of making a change and listen to how each of the prior providers would respond to you. And then trust your, your gut instinct about what you've heard and which provider stands out. Now I'm inclined to wanna to send you to a PhD psychologist because we're well-trained. And those people, those psychologists that are board certified, and that's only 7% of us, it's a prestigious thing to do, um, are even more well-trained. And so I would urge that that um, you go to the American Board of Professional Psychology website um, and access providers in California near near where you live. Actually, it doesn't matter at this point. We're all on video conference anyway. But, but um, you know, find a really gifted um, psychologist that hears your story and provides a path that makes sense to you. That would be a good way of of coming up with an excellent provider.
0: You know, I've had clients who don't know how to bring up the subject of wanting to take a leave to their psychologist. Yes. Um, They're afraid (laughs) um, of rejection. They're afraid that they'll be judged um, because they are asking for something, right? They're asking for the psychologist to sign off on a paperwork, to sign off a. letter for them to take time off. What is your suggestion to a patient who wants time off? How should they bring up the subject with the psychologist? Um,
1: it, it's it's really, I, I mean, this is a really interesting question. It's the first time anybody has ever asked me about it. Um, I don't have any uh, um any empirical data that shows that psychologists are uh, not inclined to support such requests. I think, um, on the other hand, most mental health providers, particularly less educated providers, are very uh, um, frightened by legal process. They don't know it. They don't want to be involved in it. Frankly, they, they're, they're intimidated by lawyers because we, we're we so bright um, by by nature as a group. You know, I, 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 would, I would urge that again that your listeners, um, you know, actually, um, you know, find somebody to work with that is really well educated. Um, find somebody from that ABAP group, um, and and I would be very surprised if that person would not not sign off on a disability request or, or a request for leave. Um, that would be pretty surprising. Going back
0: to the question of loneliness. Yeah. I think it's ironic that you know lawyers who work in these medium or large firms are among so many coworkers and they feel so lonely. Why do you think and it may sound like an existential question, but why
1: do people feel lonely at work? And yeah, yeah it's a really again another great question. So look, most of us are communitarians, but the practice of law is very isolating by and large. And remember, uh, at the beginning of the interview, I said that the the really the the first indication that lawyers are 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 not doing well in their lives is that their relationships aren't going well. Their personal relationships are not going well. And so those relationships tend to bleed away and, and the lawyer becomes more and more isolated in, in their world. Um, so it, um, I, I'm, I'm gonna forward to you also an, another article um, written um, about a lawyer in a large law firm um, that, that committed suicide um, there in California. It was written by his ex-wife who um, published it in the New York Times. It's a very compelling article. Um, and I think what it shows is just what I've seen over and over again and the lawyers that I've treated. Many of them get to the point where they have very few Uh, uh, emotional connections that are meaningful um, that pretty much burned out most of those connections Mm -hmm.
0: so emotional connections is an antidote to loneliness
1: yes it is so in this this time of pandemic um, the resiliency literature comes to mind and there, there are five really critical Um, aspects for us to sustain resilience. And most of us are very resilient, Um, even even the lawyers, um, most of us are very resilient, particularly if we can double down on activating ourselves through these particular um, tenants. So the first thing is just safety, you know, food, shelter, and warmth. Um, Second is, is, do you have any kind of calming practice? that you engage in? So the physical health values, what what is your physical exercise like? Do you have a meditation or mindfulness practice that you engage in? How do you calm yourself without using um, substances um, that frankly are highly addictive and hurt our bodies if we engage in in a moderate use? The third phenomena is, is emotional connection. Um, we have to have meaningful emotional connections with others if if those emotional connections don't exist um, we do not feel right we just don't feel right by and large most of us are not singletons in this 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 particular culture um, the fourth um, um, resiliency tactic is is personal efficacy are we able to to, to Act congruently from our values. Are we able to be the people we are? And and as that happens, we feel competent. We feel affirmed. We we validate ourselves, in effect, by demonstrations of that efficacy. And the last thing is a big word, but I'm going to break it down a little bit. It's just hope. Hmm. Hope. And I would just break it down. What can you do today that would infuse a little bit more warmth in your life, a little bit more Mm -hmm. connection, a little bit more um, self efficacy, so that you can feel as if you got some hope? Mm -hmm. You can see it, you can feel it, you can be it. So, those are the five factors you can kind of keep in mind um, as uh, you, you. you you entertain this notion of all right, maybe my life isn't as happy as it should be. And it can be. Is it time to do some deeper work on myself? If that question is yes, please begin to reflect and write, please do this values exercise, that Andy will put up on his website.
0: Mm.
1: Well, Andy, Andrew Benjamin, JD,
0: PhD, ABPP. Enlightening as always. Thank you for coming to our show. Any parting words for us?
1: You know, you're certainly welcome. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed this interview. Thank you for interviewing me. Um, I would just urge people to understand that that they can be happy. Honestly, it is a possibility that that can Uh, actually be actualized Um, and I would love to see anybody who is unhappy who feels as if they're not acting congruently with their values to do the work to to get to the place where they reclaim themselves yes you can as Michelle Obama once said yes you can I guess actually President Obama said yes you can, yes we (laughs) all can bless you all
0: Thank you. Thank you, Andy.